This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. On last week's episode, we talked about the Great Resignation. An unprecedented amount of people have left their jobs over the past several months. I talked to Fast Company contributor Stephanie Voza about exactly what is driving so many people to quit, what this means for the future of work, and what industries are most affected, and what employees and managers can do. If you haven't already, I recommend going back and listening to that episode after you finish this one. One of the industries that we touched on was retail. This past April, about 649,000 retail workers left their jobs, which is a record number of resignations in the industry. One of those 649,000 was retail manager Susan. Susan had worked in the industry for 14 years, first at Barnes & Noble and most recently at Pet Supplies Plus. This is her story. When I was at Barnes & Noble, I was an hourly employee. And then when I moved to Pet Supplies Plus, I became a salaried employee. That's a whole different lifestyle when you're in retail because you're basically on call 24-7. Or I mean, what I mean is I would get calls and texts at any hour of the day or night. On top of which, I had no, like for 14 years, I had no set sleep schedule or work schedule. So it was very difficult to see friends or family. So there were moments where I worked, you know, probably in excess of, you know, 60 hours. And it was very mentally and physically exhausting. And it really doesn't lend itself well to a healthy lifestyle. And with regards to the pandemic, I had no option to work from home. And that's one of the things that created a lot of resentment in me. And I think a lot of other people with regards to the pandemic was that, you know, I I really didn't get to make a choice to work from home or take time off or what have you. And in terms of getting PPE, that was a real struggle for us. I mean, at one point we were providing our own because it just could not be obtained. We also had trouble getting cleaning supplies, you know, for disinfectants that would actually kill um, a coronavirus as opposed to just being, you know, Uh, like an antibacterial. So it was sort of momentous when we were like, okay, we're going to start wearing masks at work today. And having said that, I have absolutely no sympathy for anybody who says that they can't breathe or have a difficult time breathing while doing literally anything with a mask on because for months we were wearing masks while throwing around 40 pound bags of cat litter all day long. I mean, we would, and have some customers who would come into the store and they just had no no shame or compunction about like just coming in maskless and we asked our you know higher ups like what what should we do so what our people told us was we need all of the employees to comply but somebody comes in maskless into the store Don't say anything to them, just kind of get them out of there as quickly as possible. What that says to me as an employee is that that customer is more invaluable to you than your staff. So what I did was really, um, you know, intentionally isolate myself from a lot of other people physically 
because I knew that I was putting myself at risk in my job on a daily basis. So I had sort of for a long time been, you know, for quite a while had been feeling like I didn't, <laughs> I just didn't want to live this way anymore. <laughs> didn't want to live this lifestyle. I had not seen, my parents are in Illinois. By by last fall, I had not seen them in person for like two and a half years because my dad has some health issues, so he it's not as easy for them to travel out here. And I couldn't get enough time off to go visit them because I couldn't get people to cover for me for a long enough period of time to go there. So I had planned to take a vacation to go see them. And I was like, this is my chance. I need to go. And my assistant manager quit. And I tried to do lots of things to hire people. And it was very difficult and everybody else was struggling. And I just decided that um, I needed to see my family. And that was the only way I was gonna get to do it. Before we go, we have one last segment for you on today's show, and it comes from Fastco Works in partnership with McKenzie & Company. In this custom segment, Fastco Works correspondent Ted Brown talks with Brian Hancock, partner at McKenzie & Company and global leader of McKenzie's talent work, about getting hybrid work right. So Brian, with remote and hybrid work firmly in the mainstream now, how do you see this conversation maturing in the coming years? Where do you see the consensus landing? Do you think there'll ever be a consensus? Well, I think where the conversation is now landing is much less, is hybrid work going to be around, but much more, how is it going to be around? And we're seeing that how in a few different ways. One is, I think organizations are starting to think more carefully about what types of work can be done in what settings. There's probably some work that needs to be done 100% in person, you know, certain kinds of manufacturing or other roles. Then there are some jobs that can be done on a hybrid basis three, four days a week in the office, maybe two days a week in the office. You know, then there are probably some roles where you need to come into the office once or twice a month. And then there are some roles that can be truly remote, You know, things that are more discreetly project-based. What are the new sort of challenges that organizations are going to face as they choose to go remote or hybrid versus being forced to do it last year? I think one of the challenges is going to be communicating the expectations clearly and communicating the why. Why do we need to be back in the office? If I was very successfully working on my own from my house for the past 18 months, why do I need to come back in? And part of the reason why is the connections, the connectivity, and building the next generation. So in apprenticeship-based roles, a lot of how you learn is being next to somebody. But explaining that why is really going to be important. How have the past 18 months impacted employees' expectations of their employers? and vice versa. And what are the implications of that, that shift? I think one of the things that we've seen over the course of the pandemic is that individuals have taken the time that they've had away from the office to think what their personal purpose is, what they want to be doing. And then they're starting to think, okay, do I want to be in this job? And what we're seeing employees saying more is what I want is I want a sense of 
connection to my manager. I want to feel valued by my manager and my company. What we're hearing and what we're seeing from employees is that they want that more human, more relational side of work. And they're asking for that human connection. How are we upskilling the managers in the human connection? And how are we getting back to some of that human side of work that we've really been, for many of us, missing for the past 18 months? That intentionality, that human side of work kind of brings me to another question, which is about inclusivity. How should organizations be thinking about how to make company culture more inclusive if everyone's not in the office together? It comes down to a couple of things. One is awareness. Awareness that, hey, we may not have people that are here in the office. How do we think about being inclusive towards those folks? And just because the person that I see day-to-day is top of mind, I have to pause and think, is this actually the best person for the assignment? Or is there somebody else who may be working remotely, who may not be in this location, maybe working in another location, would they actually be the best fit? So I think having the awareness of, hey, we need to be inclusive broadly, I think it's going to be important, as well as just thinking through what are our norms and practices. So there's you know one organization I was talking to that's tried to institutionalize the catching up at the water cooler. So if you have a conversation with somebody at the water cooler and it was relevant to what the team is doing, the norm is you post that on the Slack channel. Everybody has the benefit of seeing that. And if those become the norms and the rituals, you do get a more inclusive environment between people who are you know, maybe in the office that day or in the office more frequently and some of the folks that may be uh, maybe further out. McKinsey's done a lot of research around the attitudes of remote work for employers and employees. And it seems like there's been a measurable shift in how viable employees consider remote work. What do you think has changed about how we're doing things that's made that more of a, a tenable solution for both employees and employers? I think the technical solution may have existed for a long time, but we may have all just had in our own mindsets that we can't do this work remotely. And then the pandemic forced behavior change on us. And so that combination together enabled people to do things that they otherwise didn't think was possible remotely. Now we have to think on the backside of this when it's coming back to work, how do we get the behavior change one more time for what the new normal is? And I think that's where companies need to be and individuals need to be intentional about how are we shifting back and why? So we've been talking a lot about these one-to-one relationships between employers and employees, but I wanted to zoom out the conversation a little bit and talk more about how communities, how cities, how entire sort of networks of economies can be impacted by hybrid work and remote work. How do you see this transforming the sort of texture of our communities, how we interact with different cities, how cities grow, how cities sort of adapt to this new reality of work? So I think there will be some changes as workers aren't consistently coming into the office. That means less foot traffic for some of the restaurants and other retail establishments in some of the downtown areas from those commuters because they're making fewer trips in. But what we're not seeing is companies making wholesale shifts away from the office. I think most organizations are saying for most employees that were formerly office-based, we still need to have a base for them. So if that is the day-to-day pattern, what does it mean in terms of where people are going to live or where growth is going to happen? And we, through our think tank, the McKinsey Global Institute, has looked at projections as to where growth was going to be by community segment. And we saw before the pandemic that Over half of the growth was going to come from a subset of fast-growing, dynamic, more urban areas. 
And that finding we think is still likely to be true, but probably moderated a bit. Brian, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate you being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want to hear from you. Are you transitioning to a new job or career? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag new way we work. The new way we work is produced by Joshua Christensen. 